praise the Lord. Uh, I want to echo uh, the words of Francis. Uh, for those of you who are visiting uh, for the first time or uh, I have yet to greet you, just want to welcome you and thank you for for coming to fellowship with us today. And we just pray and trust that uh, God will meet you in a really substantial way and, and you guys will be blessed. And... Uh, and we'll want to continue uh, to fellowship here uh, with New Covenant. I would have those of you who have your Bibles, I would ask you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. We will start there. We will finish there. In the middle, we'll take a, we'll skip over to John 13. So we're going to, this is, we're going to stay in the Gospel of John uh, for the most part until the very close. Um, I chose for a title today, You Are My Friends If. I'm leaving that hanging out there. I'm not talking about my friends personally. I have many friends out here looking at me right now. But these are the words of Jesus to his disciples. And we all want to be the friend of Jesus, don't we? All right, there's one or two people that want to be friends with Jesus. Everybody take a sip of your coffee. Let's get jump started. Right? All right. So do we want to be friends with Jesus? All right, in order to be friends with Jesus, we need to pay attention to the words Jesus gave us, right, on, on what friendship with him should look like. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to start at the ninth verse of John chapter 15, uh, verse 9, uh, after a quick, uh, brief word of prayer. Precious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for that worship this morning, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for ministering to our hearts and, and, and preparing us, Father God, to receive the seed of your word on good soil, fertile ground, that we might bear much fruit unto you for your glory. Lord, I just trust that the word of God speaks to us in a way that calls us to action, that we become doers of it, Father God, to bring glory to your name. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Starting at the ninth verse, he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that, you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be may be full. You want to have the joy of the Lord, right? We need to give ear, careful consideration to what Jesus is saying here because he's saying there is a correlation here. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. 
You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Dictionary.com defines a friend as someone you are attached to by feelings of affection or personal regard. Someone you are attached to by feelings of affection or personal regard. In other words, a friend is someone you are relationally bonded to by mutual affection or esteem. That's pretty good. That's a serviceable definition of friend. But the word of God has something more to say about what a friend is. Here in the 15th chapter of John's gospel, Jesus called his disciples friends for the first time. But there's a condition. We read it in verse 14. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. To better understand what he means, we need some context. And for that context, let's back up to chapter 13 where this discourse between Jesus and his disciples began. How many of you know context is so important in order for us to properly interpret any word of Scripture. We have to take in the whole of Scripture in order to make sure that we are not choosing an inappropriate or incorrect interpretation of the Word of God. And while this is pretty straightforward, I still think there, is, there are some deep things here that, that we need to that we need to go back to where this particular interaction between Jesus and his disciples began. And it starts way back in chapter 13. It's the Passover, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing, 
you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said not all of you are clean. So let's, so what's happening in chapter 15, the first passage that I read is a continuation of what started here. So it's all happening on the same night in the same set of circumstances. Sometimes we can lose sight of that, where we're at, what, you know, uh, we, we lose sight of the surroundings, we lose sight of the moment in Jesus's life and what is about to happen. This is a heavy moment right here. This is the last evening Jesus will spend on this earth before he suffers, bleeds, and dies on the cross. And he's having this night with his disciples. And there's a million things he could talk about. There's a lot of things he could say. You know, when people know their time is short, the things that really matter to them is what they want to talk to the people that are most important to them about. And of all the things he wants to talk about, he's talking about love. He's thinking about their relationship. He's, these guys are going to advance the gospel or begin the advancing of the gospel around the world. But he's not talking about that tonight. He's focused on their common bond, their, their relationship in Christ, right? And what they're going to need to do in order to solidify and maintain and sustain that relationship and, and, and for that relationship to be an example to the world of what they're being invited into. He made the most beautiful sermons, and, and, and he could paint a picture better than anyone. He could, he could give a vision to you that just quickens your heart and, and excites you. He came up to guys who were making a living, some married, some not married, different walks of life, looked at them and said, follow me, and they dropped everything and went. The anointing of God was so strong on him, and and, and he would come and say, follow me, and God would just do it. And here he had these guys who had walked with him through his entire ministry. And on this night, it says in verse 1, he knew his hour had come. He's about to depart from the world. One of his 12 Satan put it into his heart to betray Jesus. And what is Jesus doing? This is the Lord of glory. He takes off his outer garments, wraps a towel around his waist, 
has his disciples take their shoes off. And he begins to minister to them, washing their feet. And he tells them, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but you will. This is the Lord of glory, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And what is he doing? He's humbling himself and serving those who call him master. I want that to soak in because what he is doing, what he is exemplifying is what we've been called into. And I'm humbled by that because here I am, pastor, and, and we live in a time and in an age where title is, is, is everything. We want to know what you do. We want to know how significant you are, what you contribute to society. I want to get the measure of, the measure of me by you. Which one of us is the better man, particularly those of us who are men? And yet here is Jesus, the man of mans. The man of, yeah, the man of men. The manly man. The God man. Not so, he's not so, uh, not so much after, not so much after lifting up his title and position that he can't take a time to humble himself. And serve. And it makes me think of all the lasting messages or all the, the themes, all the messages, all the subjects he could have covered. His message to them was one of example. I want you, here's the heart in which I want you to serve. Don't be so, don't be so focused on titles. You, you know, it was not, before this moment, there was a time when the disciples were arguing amongst themselves about who would be greater in the kingdom. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, their mom helped them get an audience with Jesus to ask if one would be on his right and one would be on his left. These guys like, well, this guy's going to usher in a new kingdom. What is our position going to be? What is going to be our status? They're thinking like men typically think. And yet Jesus is tearing that very notion down. Forget about titles. Think about humble and selfless service. Let's go on, uh, verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, 
you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, <laughs> I've been in a couple of foot washing ceremonies in my day, but he didn't say, this isn't like communion. In communion, he said, do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. This here symbolized something. And it's something more than the act of washing people's feet. It's the heart that drove, that drove it. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So I'm thinking about the washing of feet. And I'm not concerned about what it has become as a custom. I'm not concerned about that. I'm only concerned about what it signified and what it meant to Jesus and to us, his disciples. He wasn't concerned about people having clean feet. It was deeper than that. And I believe our takeaway from it is instructive. It's instructive for us today. We are to walk in this world. We're in the world, but not of it. You cannot walk, even walking the Christian life, you're collecting the dust of the world on your feet. Just like if I were to walk down the street, walk a few blocks to a neighbor's, can't help but collect dust and stuff on my shoe. And I believe these guys, he said, you've already been bathed. You've already been washed in the word. You already know the truth. You've already given your heart. You've already given your life to me. But you're still a work in progress. There is still, you're still not perfected. You still have your issues. You still have your quirks. And here is where we as a family in the Lord, as a body of believers, can choose whether or not we're going to wash each other's feet. See, if I've got, if my shoes are filthy and dirty and you see it, right, but you walk in judgment of me, how could I, how could he have these dirty shoes on and so forth, right? You're not, you're not loving me. You're not washing my feet. If you go and talk to another brother or sister and point out the flaw that I'm walking with dirty shoes on, guess what? You're not washing my feet. You are actually doing the opposite, right? We are putting each other down. We are talking behind each other's back. We are gossiping about one another. That's not selfless love. Right? So he instead, he's like, let's, 
He, he takes off his outer garment, puts on his towel, and he begins to wash their feet. You know what? Love covers a multitude of sins. We're washing each other's feet. If, if, if I, you know, if I, if I see those, those feet dirty, right, if I see you stepping out of line and I come to you in love, I don't go to another brother and say, can you believe that? That's not the kind of love Christ displayed right here. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take off the outer garment, grab the towel, and I'm going to go in love to my brother. Because I want to spur that brother on toward love and good works. I want, I want that person to be all he can be in the Lord. And, you know, God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us, but he loves us too much to leave us the way that we were, right? And so he conforms us into the image of his son Little by little by little. But if he's conforming us into the image of his son, that means there are still areas of our life that ain't like his son. And, and in the body of Christ, in the family of God, how do we relate to one another and how do we walk with one another in ways that kind of lift us up and encourage us to keep keeping on towards Christ-likeness, right? It, you know, if we're supporting each other, and we still see the call of God in someone's life. We still see the gift of God in them. We still want to be used by God to help this person be all that they can be because we know God is bigger than their quirks and foibles. And we're going to preserve one another's dignity by not taking our, you know, not taking uh, their issues and making it somebody else's business. We're going to love them and serve them where they're at. Are you hearing me? To me, that's the spirit of what he's doing there. These people abandoned him when he got arrested. Obviously, they weren't a finished work yet. Peter denied him three times. After saying he would die for him. But he wasn't a finished work yet. They gave up when Jesus died because they misunderstood what he was telling them the entire time. They thought all hope was lost when Jesus died on the cross. Jesus had to appear to them again and explain to them that it was all necessary. This is what the Messiah was meant to do, die for the sins of the world and raise again. And he came to establish a kingdom that was not of this world. And I was reading the article the other day, and it talked about the phenomenon of people leaving the church and over the past 25 years, 40 million people have become de-churched. And I'm still reading through it. The article was based on a book a couple of pastors got together and um, 
and wrote. I have not uh, received the book yet and read it, but but I get the gist of what they of what they're saying. And but basically, one of the things that was pointed out in that book is that people don't know how to do community anymore. It's like, yeah, you know, we have our group of, uh, when we're, let's say you grew up in a church, you had a group of people you went to children's church with. Y'all grew up, went to youth, then you went to young adults, then you grew up, started having families, right? And then you started having families, you got your new spouse. Your new spouse may not have quite had the same devotion to going to church as you did all those times. Next thing you know, you miss a couple Sundays, the babies, late nights, crying all the time. You miss a couple of Sundays. Next thing you know, it's easier to miss Sundays. And, 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 and next thing you know, before long, <laughs> you know, Social media, changes in society has gotten it to where we don't really know how to effectively relate and do community anymore. And that's affected our churches as well. We have events. We invite you to things and want you to participate in things, but, but oftentimes it lacks a sense of community where we will take off the outer garment and put on the towel and serve one another. Where we do more than just come to church on Sundays, go through the worship set, listen to a word, uh, say amen, get prayed for, have a little fellowship, and then go on and do our own things. But we're not really doing life together. Jesus and his disciples did life together. They left family. They left their professions. And he said, come and follow me. What he really said was, come out from among them and be thou separate. Come live a different way. We're going to be one. We're going to live in a way that God intended us for to live and, and, and something that's totally contrary to the world. And, and, and we're going to do something deeper than just coming together for a couple hours at a time on Sundays and Wednesdays every week. We're going to get to know each other. We're going to be willing to lay our lives down for one another. Jesus gave them an example, and he told them to do just, I, just as I have done to you, I want you to do to one another. It doesn't mean put on a towel and wash people's smelly feet. It means something deeper than that. I want you to go back to John 15 as we begin to... And I want to take a closer look at a couple of words as I read through them. 
Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Now, he started this in 13 knowing that he was going to be betrayed, knowing that he was going to be abandoned and left alone to die on the cross. And yet he washed everybody's feet, even Judas's. Agape love. Abide in my love. Yes, in one sense that is, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love him, yes, you'll keep his commandments. But he's also saying abide in my love, abide in the love of Christ toward one another. Don't be fickle. Don't be iffy. Be committed to walking in the love of Christ toward one another. Are you hearing me? If you keep my commandments, because that's a commandment to love one another as Christ loved us. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. I want to stop right there because we've heard this before. We know Jesus literally laid down his life for our sins. What does that mean for us, though? How do we lay down our lives for a friend? We can't go to the cross. Jesus already went to the cross. He was the only one worthy to go to the cross for us. I can only tell you what it, what it means in, from my perspective. All right? And I think, in my own words, I, I would say we need to get invested in each other's lives and be willing to make the sacrifice, make the sacrifices to, to, to make that happen. Right? So, greater love has no one that you lay down your life for a friend. Making sacrifices in your life for you to do life with other people. You know, sometimes it's inconvenient. Other people have different routines. They have different challenges. And and we have our own Routine that works for us. You know, hey, I don't mind. I can do life. If you fit with 100% into my routine, I can do life with you all day. But I'm not trying to be disrupted. I'm not trying to be dysregulated. I'm not trying to be stretched beyond what I'm comfortable with. And I would say to you, that's exactly what Jesus is calling us to. It's not just the disruption that missionaries have to go through, totally interrupting their lives and, 
and going to some far off land where, where they can propagate the gospel that people might be saved. Every one of the disciples Jesus called, they lived right there in the community that he called them in. They didn't get called out to some foreign land. Their calling was right there. And yet, they still had to come out and separate themselves from what their normal life was in order to devote themselves to the call of God on their lives. So you might live in still water every day of your life. It still doesn't change the fact that he's called you out of whatever the normal is, whatever the world is doing in still water. He's called you in to something. And he's saying, come out from among them and be ye separate. Respond to my call. Humble yourself before God. Say, yes, Lord, I'm available to you. And devote yourself to a new way of doing life modeled for us by Jesus. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And you know what? In Christ, y'all, we are friends. In Christ. We are friends. I'm called to lay down my life for you. You're called to lay down your life for me. We're called to lay down our lives for one another. The only question is whether we're going to rise up and answer that call. Jesus even said around the 34th, 35th verse of John chapter 13, by this the world shall know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And it's not as you and I define love, it's love as he exemplified. Agape love, the God kind of love. If we love one another like Christ loves us. That may sound a little daunting, but it's doable because of Christ in us. The hope of glory. The more we're available to him, the more we are vessels through which his love can be dispensed to others. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. And he ends up in verse 17. These things I command you so that you will love one another. In my mind, I just, I can't get that picture out of my mind of Jesus with a towel wrapped around him. Watch, washing the feet of 12 men, 
And you can tell how lowly of a job that was by Peter's reaction. Basically said, Lord, you're not about to wash my feet, are you? No, never. That is beneath your dignity. And Jesus said, if I don't do it, you have no share with me. And I pray, you know, despite the limitations of this vessel, I pray that that image is in your mind as well, too, that it gets etched there. Jesus, the one we sang praise and worship to this morning. Jesus, the one whose name is above every name. Jesus, the name at which demons tremble, fear, shriek, and run. Jesus, that mighty name. The one who is exalted and seated at the right hand of the Father. Postured himself as a lowly servant wrapped a towel around his waist, got down on his knees. And washed the dirt. Off of the feet of those who called him teacher and master. And he told his disciples that he wanted us to follow that example. Not just for your wife or husband, not just for your children, not just for your your best friends and whatnot. But to follow the example of our Savior because we love him. Those were pretty close to his dying words. His last words or instructions to his disciples before he died. Seems pretty important to me. And let his words resonate with us because we're an extension of those disciples. We we became believers as a result of the gospel that they spread. And we are his disciples in this day, in this time, in this generation. And yet the same command has been given to us. And I'm tired of this command not being a living reality in the body of Christ. I'm tired of churches splitting. I'm tired of people losing friendships and because we're, we're, we're not 
willing to do this. We're not obeying God and subjecting ourselves to his will and what pleases him. We're not willing to take off those outer garments and, and, and to, to humble ourselves and just go into servant mode and minister. We're not willing to wipe the dirt off each other's feet. We're more likely to kick dirt on each other's feet. Present company excluded, of course. But it is time for the body of Christ to rise up, not, not, not with angry voices and, 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 and out there fighting battles that Christ never called us to fight. It's time for us to rise up, to stand up and start acting like the folk Christ saved. Acting like we really know Christ. Because he said that by this the world shall know that you are my disciples as you have love for one another. So can we love each other like Christ loved us? And it's kind of a rhetorical question because it's not a matter of can we do it, will we love each other like Christ loved us? If, and I, I can't help but think that Whoever we meet out there in the world and we're bringing them, you know, we're telling them the gospel, how good Christ is and trying to bring them to church. What are we bringing them to? What kind of community are they being brought into? Are we espousing those truths? Or have we taken ownership of what Christ has commanded us to do? When they come in and observe us interacting with each other, are they seeing us? humbly serving one another as Christ served his disciples when he washed their feet? Or are they seeing us judging one another? Are they seeing us letting the sun go down on our wrath? Are they seeing us talking about each other behind each other's back? Are they, you know, what, what, what will they observe? Will they observe something beautiful that's, that's the true representation of the kingdom of God? Something that will excite their spirit. And draw them in. Or will they see more of what they've experienced in the world? I tell you what it ought to be and what we're going to do everything possible to make sure it's going to be when they come here, when you come here, the expectation is you're going to see Jesus. You're going to experience Jesus. You're not going to experience perfection because it ain't, it ain't standing in front of you, that's for sure. but you're going to be amongst the people who are sincere in their walk with God and we're striving. Striving for more of Jesus. We want to be more and more like him. Right? And I want you to have that appetite. If you don't, 
Well, then that's a, you know, that's an issue that we need to talk about. And I'll be happy to talk to you about that because there should be an appetite for the things of God. We want to be pleasing to God. We want to be doers of, uh, 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 of God's word. We want to be a true reflection of Christ. That's what Christian is. We're like, we're, we're imitators of Christ. We're a little Christ. We are a representation of him. I want us to be able to say, like Jesus said to Thomas, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I want it to be said, and I want us to be able to truthfully say, to justify our actions, our words, our deeds. What you just saw me do is Jesus, because that's what he said do. That's what he did do. And I want the same for you. I think that is in line with what we as leaders are called to help produce in you. As Ephesians 4 says, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. It is our accountability, our job to God is to build you up. God forbid that I would tear you down. But you know, it's not just my job to build the body up. It is the body's job to build one another up. Right? And we all should be saying, God forbid that I would tear one of my family members down call to God to build you up. And if everybody is building one another up, oh my goodness, imagine what could be. Imagine what we could accomplish. Imagine what could be done in our community, in this country, and beyond. So let's do, you know, with that in mind, let's do as Hebrews 10 verses 24 and 25 says, let us not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's spur one another on. Let's encourage one another. Let's build one another up. I want that to be what we're characterized by, what we're identified by. I want that to be what people whom we're inviting into this fellowship, I want that to be notable, noticeable, that that's what they're being invited into. I want it because it's not just my heart's desire. It's the heart desire of our Lord and Savior. You don't have to. It doesn't even matter if the sermon is that good or not. Jesus said, by this shall they know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. The way we conduct ourselves with each other can be the most powerful sermon that gets somebody to be open to receive the salvation of the Lord, right? Seeing the evidence of it, seeing it lived out, 
will actually pull hearts in. Because I finally see something that's real, that's tangible, that actually is a living representation of what their heart has been longing for all along. And it's only possible in and through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you to stand. Hallelujah. To God be the glory for the great things that he has done. I'm going to ask I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm not going to ask you to come up. I'm just going to ask you to do something. This is just between you and the Lord. Like I said, Jesus was calling his disciples into something. He knew they wouldn't understand what he was doing in that moment, but he knew there would come a day when they would understand. Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord of all, with so much on his mind, he would have his time in the Garden of Gethsemane where he struggled with what was about to happen. He knew he didn't have long on this earth left. His time was very short. And what did he do? He humbled himself and served and told his disciples he wanted them to do the same. To one another. If you have heard that, if you're being convicted in any kind, in any way, you know, uh, the examples that I used earlier were random. If if you are guilty of any of those things, uh, hey, I'm, I'm not calling. I wasn't calling you out. I don't know, but God knows. So here's a chance for you to make a declaration to God. You know whether or not you exemplify that humble service, that selfless service that Jesus displayed when he washed his disciples' feet and all that that represents. You know whether or not you've been willing to lay your life down and by extending yourself and being willing to do life with somebody. Somebody that isn't like you, doesn't have the same schedule that you have, something that's going to actually force you to actually sacrifice, get out of your comfort zone in order to help lift somebody up. 
to help thrust them forward in their journey with the Lord and to give them the opportunity to do the same in your life. If you've not had that willingness, if that's not present in your life, I want you to take this time to declare to God that you're available. Available for him to to lead you and to move you into that. You know, to give you a a heart and a desire to really want to do that. To to, to really light the flame in your heart. To serve God and serve others in that way. So I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to just just do some business with God and just make a declaration to God that you are available to him, for him to use you, whatever that looks like. You're willing to lay down your life for someone else. You're willing to serve selflessly and humbly in your church and in your community. Just declare unto God that you're available to him however he wants to use you. However he wants to use you. Tell him you say yes. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of Jesus. I thank you for the example that he set. how we're supposed to conduct ourselves in this earth with one another and and even those who have yet to become believers but who will become believers through our example through our witness people whose hearts you've already you're already working on and preparing making them ready for salvation. I thank you, Father, that this word was received well and that there are going to be relationships formed as people make themselves more available to you and make an effort to reach out and to do life with people on more than just Sundays and Wednesdays. But to be there for each other, to spur one another on, 
to cry with one another, to laugh at one another, to celebrate with one another, to hope, to dream with one another, to pray with one another, to challenge one another and encourage one another, to really get to know each other and to allow people to get to know us. Father, there's no fear in love. Teach us to love one another without fear, without worry. Give us the courage to step out from under the thumb of fear and worry and anxiety to step out from the norm out there in the world and and to be separate as we walk with you oh God give us the courage and the willingness to serve in areas that we may be a little nervous about Lord, I believe there are some children's church workers in this congregation, volunteers. And not just ones who have kids of children's church age, but people who will be available to serve in that capacity, Father God, if you call them to it. Same thing for youth and and other the sound booth and worship and other uh, ministry capacities and ministries we don't even have yet, Father God. I just I just trust that people are making themselves available to you, acknowledging you in all their ways, and as they do so amazing things are going to are going to happen. Thank you for thank you for your word. Thank you for ministering to us, Lord, and and um, and we just we give you glory and honor and praise, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So Thank y'all for hanging in there with me today. and I hope and pray that uh, that, that the, the message of that, of that word really got through and that you're already doing something with it. Make yourself available to God and, and uh, God's purpose and plan for your life will not only become revealed to you, you'll find it manifesting in you being being able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you could even ask or think in the Lord. So God bless you. Have a great week. See you next week.